Bokartov, we are in Sefer Melachim, chapter 7, verse 8. And we're going to actually continue today instead of just speaking outside. Where are we? Oh, I'm in Melachim Bet. Ah, okay. Chapter 7, verse 8. Verse 7. What? I think it's verse 7. Verse 7, we got up to verse 6? I think so. I love you. It's okay. Hello, All right. So we're in the middle of the construction of the uh, of the house of Shilomo. Again, Beit HaMikdash was built in seven years. House of Shilomo built in 13 years. The house of Shilomo consists of what? House of, it consists of the, the house in the woods, right? It consists of um, the... Here. It consists of the house of justice, which is the main house. Because the king, as we said yesterday, is identified with justice. Yeah. Right? That's the main characterizing description of the Jewish king. And then he had the house of Bat Paro, the house of the daughter of Paro, mm-hmm. who seems to have been, because we already mentioned her before, she seems to be like the main wife, or the most, you know, weird, impressive wife. Side note, uh, before we get to the psukim, more outside stuff, um, to just to know the names of the specific things in the Beit Hamikdash, you know we had in the Mishkan you have the Kodesh and the Kodesh Hakodeshim. Mm-hmm. Right? What would be the corresponding thing in the Mikdash? So the main hall is the Hechal, that would be corresponding to the Kodesh. Okay. And then you have the Devir, which is the Kodesh Hakodeshim, and then the entrance hall, which is added, which you don't have in the Mishkan, maybe comparable, maybe like to the Chatzer, but not so much, would be the Ulam. Okay, and you could see it in the picture here. This is the Kodesh Kodashim. The Vir, you could see, is double the size Only of the Kodesh Kodashim. Only the Kohen Gadol and Yom Kippur. Then you have the Hechal, which is the equivalent of the Kodesh. That's where the 10 Menorot and the 10 Shulchanot were, because everything was times 10. Also, by the way, in the Devir, we had big Kiruvim that were much bigger than the Kiruvim in the Mishkan. And then you have the Ulam, which is the opening area. This is actually a very tall room, if you look. It was 30 Amot tall. It was three times the height of the Mishkan. Okay. However, going back to his houses, all right, uh, we are, now we're, we're talking about, in verse 7, we're talking about the Hall of Justice, which is the main place where he would sit and live. He made a hall for the throne where he would judge, a hall of judgment. It was covered with cedar wood from one end of the floor to the other. Now, the place where he would dwell was in the hall of justice, but in like a separate room. His house where he would live, which was in another courtyard beyond the hall, but attached to the, court, to the house of justice, at least that's what the way I uh, saw in Mifashim, was of the same construction, meaning of cedar, cedar wood. He also made a house like this for the daughter of Paro, whom Solomon had taken as a wife, which we saw before. Again, the undue emphasis on the Bat Paro makes me uneasy. I know the Mepharshim said, ah, it's, it's fine, he converted her, this, that, there's no Isur, no Isur, no Isur. It does make me uneasy because Shalomo ultimately, his biggest downfall is going to be whenever he creates such a large standing army that he has to go and buy horses from Mitzrayim, which is exactly the Isur in the Torah. Mm-hmm. Not to go back to me, it's time to buy horses. Okay? Pasuk Tet. 
כל אלה אבנים יקרות כמידות גזית מגוררות במגירה מבית ומחוץ וממסד עד הטפחות ומחוץ עד החצר הגדולה. Now all of these were built with valuable stones the size of huge hewn stones filed smooth with a file on the inside and on the outside and from the foundation to the ceiling and the outdoors until the great courtyard. Now what, what, what is interesting or important about that pasuk? That pasuk, he's saying that the stones were cut and were filed. Unlike the Beit HaMikdash in which all the stones were unhewn and unfiled. Mm. Remember? Because we didn't lotiv uh, ne gazit even though the Torah said it's only by an altar, Shlomo went above and beyond with that halacha and said no hewn stones in the entire Beit HaMikdash, which also fits the idea because Shlomo represents shalom, peace, and the Beit HaMikdash represents shalom. So the whole Beit HaMikdash is, uh, is a place of shalom. So you don't want to use any iron in the, in the construction. But his house, and the house of Bat Paro, and the house of... Uh, has no regulation. There's no regulation, exactly. It's not a holy place. It was founded upon valuable stones, large stones, stones of 10 cubits and stones of 8 cubits. That's an insane size for a stone. They were using gigantic stones. If you look at the Ritamikdash, even the, the remnants of Bait Sheni, they use gigantic stones. If you go, have you ever done the tunnel tours? The size of the stones that they were using. Absolutely crazy. Okay. Pasuk Yud. This is not Bait. This is not. This is Bait Rishon. No, right? no, no, no. This is his palace. Right. That's true. That's true. Good point. But I'm thinking. I think they use big stones across the board. All right. Uh, where are we? Yud Aleph. Umil Mala Avanimi Karot Kmidot Gazit Vaares. Above ground, there were valuable stones the size of hewn stones and cedar. Okay. They also had big stones above ground. Okay, and then the great courtyard all around the king's buildings, its walls were made of three rows of hewn stones and a row of cedar boards, and it was done for the inner courtyard of the temple of Hashem and for the hall of the temple. So they made courtyards and they used the big stones to create, to enclose the courtyard. And that's the main point of this pasuk. Okay, now we get back actually to the Beit HaMikdash. I know it's confusing, yeah. but we're going to get back to the Beit HaMikdash. Uh, if you look at the note 13, 14, scripture now reverts to the construction of the temple. In order to super, supervise the decorative aspects of the building and make some of its vessels, Solomon sought out the famous Jewish artisan who resided in Tzur, Tyre, and brought him to Jerusalem. Okay? He went and he brought Hiram from Tzor. Now, what's, what's uh, confusing about this guy's name? Hiram from Tzor. From Tzor. Because the king of Tzor is also named Hiram. Or Huram in some of the other texts, like Divrayamim. Right? So you have Hiram. The Jewish artisan that happened to live in modern-day Lebanon, it has the same exact name as the king who is the king of Lebanon mm -hmm. or of Tzor. Okay, so it's just confusing, but keep in mind it's not the same person. Okay, Ben Isha Almanahu Imateneftali, he was the son of a widowed lady that was from the tribe of Naftali, Ve'aviv Ish Tzori, and his father was a man from Tzor. Choresh Nehoshet and the guy Hiram was a coppersmith 
or his father was a copper. And he was an expert full of wisdom with insight to do all the works with copper. So he came to Shalomo to perform the work because there's going to be a lot of design, nice work that needs to be done for the Mikdash. So this guy was imported from Tzor. And by the way, this, this guy, which character does he remind you of from the Torah? Betzalil. Right, Betzalel was the guy, was the was the artisan who was used in the construction of the Mishkan, and now we have in the construction of the Beit Hamikdash the the expert we are using is a guy named Chiram from Tzor. All right, it's, it's impressive how much contribution people with the name of Chiram had to the Beit Hamikdash, both in terms of all the raw materials and in terms of the design. Mm-hmm. It was pretty much like a Lebanese building at this point, or a Tzorian building. Okay, Pasuk Tedvav. He made two large pillars of copper, 18 cubits for the height of one pillar, and 12 cubits string could go around it. And likewise for the second pillar. So they had two 18 amma pillars, and they designed it with a string around it. Now, what is a string? What are they referring to? They had this design that they would use. They used it in the Beit HaMikdash also, where they would wrap like a, a string of like an expensive metal. Right? They would like make a, they would like tease out gold or some other expensive metal into strips and they would wrap their pillars with it as like a design. So I think that's what's going on here. Continuously, yeah, like we a spiral it, going up? It, like a spiral going up to the, up the pillar. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, we see it. In the Beit in the Mishkan, uh, the Kirashim, some of the Kirashim on the outside had these strips made out of silver, actually. So I think it could be a similar concept. Um, let's read the note on Vayatsar Achneha Amudim Nechoshe. designed two pillars of copper. Hiram prepared the molds into which molten copper was poured. The actual making of the pillars is recorded in verse 18. Alternatively, a verse means that Hiram actually made the pillars in verse 18 first, assembling them in the cap with the Kaplan's decorations. Uh, da, 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 da. Let's see. Okay, it doesn't say what, like these pillars are for. But he made pillars for the Beit Hamikdash. Again, I'm not exactly sure where they went. Oh, the copper pillars. These pillars are described briefly in Chronicles. The project was assigned to Hiram. Although he was skilled in many crafts, Solomon used them only for work with copper. It may be that there were some goldsmiths and silversmiths in Jerusalem. Due to the very holiness of the gold and silver vessels, Solomon wanted only the most righteous craftsmen to work on them, even though they may not have been the most skilled. Okay, so he wanted to use Jerusalemites for the other stuff. He only used Hiram for the copper, according to some opinions. Uh, interesting stuff. Pazuk no, Ted Zayn. He made two capitals to place upon the tops of the pillars of, the, of molten copper. Five cubits the height of one capital and five cubits the height of the second capital. So he put like a, wow, he put like a, like a, a crown basically on top of the pillars called in English, they're calling it the capital. In Hebrew, it's called the koteret. Okay, design. There were nettings of meshwork and ropes of chain work on the capitals that were upon the pillars. Seven for one capital and seven for the second capital. Okay, so he put this meshwork, and these are all designed, so I can't go too much into detail because I don't know what it is, but 
They put some design of this meshwork on. The this is all back to the Beit yeah. Exactly. There was an interjection of the palace, and the second we bring Hiram into the picture, we're going back to the Beit Hamikdash, talking about the pillars of the Beit Hamikdash. At least that's what the they say. I, I don't like. Uh, that's what the Mefarshim say. I don't know if there if there is such an opinion that we're still talking about his house. But I don't think I don't think so. Okay. Um, so he made the netting and he put the netting on top of the, the, the crowns for the pillars. Then he makes, made the pillars, he placed two rows going all around upon one netting to cover the capitals that were on top. With the pomegranates, he did likewise the second capital. Okay, there's more design about these pillars. And then on the capitals that were atop of the pillars was a molded flower as in the hall. They were four cubits high. So he had this molded flower that he had in the ulam. He also put them, he also put it on these pillars. On the capital or on the, on the, the crown of the Any pillars. significance about the pomegranates? I have no idea. The flower design was carved into the capitals just as the hall was decorated with carvings. Right, the ulam which we showed you had these flower designs carved into the walls or something. Cool. And they used the same thing on these pillars. Okay. <laughs> On the capitals that were atop the pillars was a molded flowers in the hall, they were four cubits high. And there were capitals on the two pillars also on top, opposite the bulge. Okay, this is even in English, I can't understand what, what this is referring to. You gotta forgive me for, we're doing our best. So this is an interesting picture of what the top of it looked. I'm struggling to see why we're going to so much detail about these pillars. But this is like, uh, this is the crown. I saw for those who don't have the, of the Navi, we're looking at a picture now. And it's showing us exactly what all of these designs and flowers and pomegranates look like. Where's the pomegranate? I don't see the pomegranates. Oh, two rows of pomegranates. Here, there it is. The, okay. No, it's tiny. Oh, these tiny little balls. Hey, the sun is the last two came. These pillars had names. And if you ever want to really get into the nitty gritties of Tanakh trivia. What are the names of the two pillars that Shilomo made in the, ula, in the ulam of the Beit HaMikdash? Okay? Yachin and Boaz. He called one of them Yachin, he called the other one Boaz. Uh, and he put them in the ulam. He put them in the ulam. Ve'al rosha amudim And upon the top of the pillars was placed a flower. And that was the work of the pillars. Okay. Yachin and Boaz. I want to read the note on Yachin and Boaz. Boaz is a contraction of Boaz. Strength is within it. Solomon chose these. Yachin is from the root kon to be established. So both are names of strength and establishment. Okay, Yachin would be established like, like kon, the kon Israel, and Boaz means strength is in it. Solomon chose these portentous names to imply his prayerful wish that the temple should remain firmly established and it was always blessed with divine strength. This seems to be Peshat. Radak says This is Radak um, And it makes a lot of sense If you're going to use pillars And beams To name them Based on names that are That pertain to strength 
represents the strength of the Mikdash and how it's going to remain forever. Homiletically, the pillars allude to the word of God, which gives meaning to the temple. Yachin was on the same side as the Menorah, which symbolizes the light of the Torah and the illumination that shows Israel in in the, in the divinely ordained path of life. This establishes the basis of Judaism. Boaz was on the same side as the table, which symbolized prosperity and strength. This taught that only by obeying God's law can one gain unconquerable strength. Okay, that's Rav Hirsch. Um, R.M. Hirsch. Okay. Uh, we're going to start the topic of the sea tomorrow. Okay. Amen. Amen.